folks. I'm Mary Claire Erdnast. Welcome to Play for Keeps podcast. We are recording new plays as podcasts in Ashland, Oregon, as a part of the Ashland New Plays Festival. We've created this podcast series to let you in on a conversation between creators at the front line of new works. Today, we're talking with Kyle Hayden, the artistic director of Ashland New Plays Festival, and Jim Pagliasotti, director of Play for Keeps podcast. Kyle, good afternoon. Hey. Nice to have this chance to chat. Good to talk to you. I will um, repeat what I was thinking on the drive over here, which was that it has been just about exactly four years since you and I first met and had long conversations about our visions for ANPF, Ashland New Plays Festival. And I wanted to ask you, with that in mind, how has uh, ANPF developed in your mind during your four years as artistic director? It's a big question. Uh, I think it's, I think it feels like it's grown by leaps and bounds. You know, I think um, when I came on board, I think the big question was, you know, what can this organization be? Um, We were doing the fall festival every year. I'm asking playwrights from all over the country to submit their work and having that be judged by, by local volunteers or loyal readers. Um, and kind of putting on that festival in the fall. And, you know, there had been the expansion to have the the Actors' Choice event before and some of the theater talks, but it really was was very, I think, self-contained. And I think that one of the big things that we've done, my tenure there is really try to push the boundaries of what's possible for us. You know, you know, little tiny theater in a, a theater crazy town, but um, I think we really started to say like, what else can we do? So you know, doing the women's invitational and having such fantastic playwrights submit their work and then having those plays go on to have the lives that they had have been amazing and starting to really take care of our past winners to keep them integrated in the fold with us, I think has been tremendously exciting. And I just feel like a lot more people know who we are and what we do now, which has been really, really exciting and really gratifying. You know, people, it's, it's fun. Now people come up to me like, Oh my gosh, Ashland new place festival. Oh, it's a great place. How did you get connected with that? Which is really exciting and really gratifying. So it feels like we're getting the word out as far as who we are and what we do. Uh, it's really a great accomplishment. And I think you touched on several things that I think came to mind for both of us when we initially talked, which was that there was a, a wonderful legacy to build on mm-hmm. at uh, ANPF. But uh, like, theater itself, we had to start really trying to find all of the different voices that are out there, some of which really weren't being represented, some of which weren't really being uh, given a, a platform from which to, uh, to to speak. And I think starting with the Women's Invitational, we've made a lot of progress. There's a long way to go, obviously, but I'm, I'm really proud of what you've accomplished there. Absolutely. And, you know, I, I've been going through some of my materials um, over the past week, uh, and was looking at, you know, I was first involved with ANPF in 2003. I did a reading of a play called Luke's Dad, where I played a a teenager who was obsessed with musical theater. And then I directed some short plays in the 10 Minute Play Festival in 2005. Um, There were some exciting, I think think Lauren Yee may have had a play uh, in that mix. So there were some really, uh, you know, my my connection to the history of it is, is, is pretty long as well. So yeah, it's been tremendously exciting for us to kind of build on this and it feels like play for keeps is just the next step in that legacy and kind of building on the foundation of what we've had before to kind of take the next steps and make it relevant in the future. Well, I really have to blame you for play for keeps and thank you simultaneously (laughs) because you were the one who literally forced me to get involved with social media, something I had resisted like a lot of people my age. And uh, because of that, I started to see, you know, when we think about doing more with what we have, we're a small theater, obviously, in a fairly remote part of the country. And yes, it is a very theater-centric community that that we come from, but the... um, there we go. The um, the assets that we had to work with, you know, uh, you've done so much to take us so far with, you know, fairly limited resources. I mean, we're a small organization, we're a small theater, but in looking at what we did have to work with, it occurred to me, and thankfully you were very supportive of this and, and really helped give me a clearer idea of it, but we had 
this legacy of 28 years now, relationship with playwrights all over the country, uh, greatly expanded since you've been involved. And we had this uh, cadre of readers who really provide a curatorial service to what we do in sorting through hundreds and hundreds of plays every year that we receive and, you know, sending you what they believe are the best ones. And we also have this incredible talent pool, uh, thanks to the Oregon Shakespeare Festival and, and the th theatrical nature of the community we live in. Mm -hmm. And looking at what we could do with those assets, Play for Keeps just seemed like a, a logical thing to, to do. And here we are. Here we are. Before we get too much more into this, do you want to talk about what is Play for Keeps so people understand what it is we're referencing? And I, I mean, I, I would love to hear your perspective of just how it how it kind of came to you, what, how the, where the idea came from, and, and, and what you think it's meant to be. Well, sure. You know, in, in working with Ashland New Plays Festival over the years, and, uh, you know, I was uh, president of the organization for almost five years, so I was kind of in the thick of it. Working with you especially, I got uh, a pretty clear idea of what we were able to do for playwrights, what value that had, and maybe some of the obstacles they faced that, you know, we could possibly do more for them in helping them find the audience that they're looking for. First of all, by making that connection between the playwright and the people who can produce their work, the artistic directors, the literary directors, and so forth, and the professional theater community. And so in thinking about all that, it occurred to me that the one problem that all playwrights face, and maybe this doesn't apply to the top 1%, you know, the Neil Simons of the world and all, but most playwrights produce a script, they print it up, they send it off, they hold their breath. That script more than likely ends up in a slush pile somewhere where a very well-intentioned person means to read it, can't possibly find the time, more scripts start piling up on top of it, and it disappears. You've just described thought, my email inbox, by the way. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, and you know, it just seemed that with the technology we have available to us today, that there were other ways that we might be able to help playwrights present their work, both to the public, obviously we'd love to have the public get very involved in this, but especially to those people who maybe, uh, you know, in multitasking could find a way to listen to a play that they otherwise might overlook. And it so often happened when we'd say to someone, could you read this uh, script? And they'd say, oh, I meant to, but I had to go to Portland. I had to drive to Portland. I thought if this was an audio tape, which is what Play for Keeps is, thank you for asking, they could have listened to that play and several others on their drive to Portland. So we thought if we can take this professional talent that we have access to in Ashland, these wonderful actors, and get them to give voice to the playwright's work and put it out there in the ethers for people to have access to, maybe we can provide a new way for them to reach their, their intended audiences. And in doing so, I think we really have created a new kind of theater. Um, obviously, we're just plowing new ground here, and it's maybe too early to say that, but the people we've worked with have all made that comment. This is a new way to do theater. Yeah, I think it's really exciting, and I think one of the things I really love about it is it feels uh, as if it's a new way to bring theater to people who might not ordinarily go to it or see it. You know, um, I... I am. Uh, uh, I think one of the things I've I've heard from from several people that have uh, interacted with Play for Keeps and enjoy it is that it reminds them very much of audiobooks. And I think a lot about audiobook culture and you know the the books that I've listened to on tape. You know, I might split them up over several days, or sometimes I hear something so riveting that I just need to continue with it. You know, cooking dinner or going to the gym or something like that. Um, but being able to kind of be engaged in the story and have, you know, whether it's the author or an actor telling it, um, I always have been really interested and really fascinated by. And, and while I'm not as heavily into it as other people are, you know, my, my wife, for example, uh, really loves audiobooks. She really kind of prefers sometimes to get the stories told by those people. So, you know, for me, the first time I put one of the plays on, it was just like listening to an audiobook, but having two really... Um, the play that I was listening to was a was a two-hander. It had two actors in it. So having two really, um, really talented, wonderful actors bringing these characters to life, I felt like I was sitting in the living room with them. So, and I was walking, you know, I was walking down the street in in the middle of Pittsburgh. So, um, to me, it's just a trend, a tremendously exciting way to to transport audiences in 
in new ways and really an extension of the reading process that we're already doing with play readings. We're creating so much with our imaginations anyway. So to kind of do it in this venue is taking it outside of our theaters is, is pretty cool. Absolutely. And, you know, the, the uh, analogy uh, with books on tape is a good one because that's one of the places the idea came from. Books on tape has been so successful that it's now called the new way to read. And the difference is that I think books always have been intended for people to access on demand. You go, you buy them, you, uh, you know, at, in bed at night or whenever you choose to read, you read them. Whereas plays, you pretty much had to go to them. They didn't come to you. Now, a, a printed script, obviously, if people have access to them, if people want access to them, they're out there. But part of the thinking behind Play for Keeps, and you know this as a professional, is that most people can't hear a play when they read it. Mm -hmm. You know, we, we, we say about books on tape, books uh, are meant to be read, plays are meant to be said. Mm -hmm. And part of the thinking was that having these, these uh, incredibly talented actors give voice to the playwright's work is a, uh, a, a different way to present that work and you hear something that you might not hear uh, when you read it. Yeah, it absolutely makes it three-dimensional, I think. You know, you're, you're lifting it up on the page and, you know, you are not, it's not as if when you go to the theater you're seeing all the sets and lights and costumes. Um, you still have the same engagement that you do when you read, the same kind of use of imagination you get to create what the characters look like you get to create what you think the set looks like the environs what they're wearing so there's still that kind of imaginative engagement that's there but i think you're given a bit of a fuller picture by having some a couple of talented people really bring those characters to life yeah, and you know, to take that books on tape analogy a little further, uh, one thing that we thought was unique is books on tape traditionally were uh, done by one actor creating mm -hmm. all the various parts. What we thought was different about what we were doing is we have, you know, an entire cast presenting the playwright's work, and it's just a very strict interpretation of what the playwright gives us. It's certainly not meant to be the definitive work, but a, a, an honest professional representation of that work. Um, I understand that Books on Tape now is migrating more toward having uh, a variety of actors read the, the different parts in the, in the book. So maybe we're a little ahead of the curve. There. I was just going to say we're ahead of the curve. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. That's a good place to be. That's a good place to be. You know, being ahead of the curve, one thing that's worth mentioning, I, I know that one of the things we wanted to talk about was both the upsides and the downsides. You know, there's a lot of aspiration here in doing Play for Keeps, but some of the things that we have learned in these very early stages of doing it is there's some cultural things to overcome, and one of them is the idea uh, that people have in mind that when you say theater, they think that they have to go carve out an hour and a half or two hours to sit in front of their computer and listen to a play. And just like a book, as you pointed out, the nice thing about having these in podcast form is you can listen to them at the gym, you can listen to them on an airplane or driving, uh, working in the garden, walking down the street, whatever. Anywhere you listen to music, you can listen to a, a play. But also, you don't need to listen to them all in one sitting. The playwright might prefer that you do. I don't know. I haven't asked them. But, okay. you know, you can certainly just carve out the time that works for you and listen to Act 1, listen to Act 2 uh, another time. Uh, however it works for you, it's literally theater on demand. Yeah, the personalization, I think, is something that, that we as a society are really interested in, having things for you when you want them, when it's convenient for you. So I think it's great. You know, if you want to go back and, you know, catch something that you missed, you're not quite sure, you didn't quite believe what they said, or you want to kind of unwrap that a little bit more, you can go back and listen to that. So I think that that's tremendously exciting to be able to kind of do it at your own pace, you know, listen to Act 1, go take a break, take a shower, take a nap, come back, listen to Act 2, or you know, listen to half of it as you're going into work and half of it as you come home. Um, uh, pre precisely. Yeah. Precisely. Yeah. So it's cool. I, I, you know, for me, I often find myself, you know, walking around until I get to a stopping point, <laughs> you know, waiting for the end <laughs> of the scene yeah. or something like that. So I'm walking up and down the hall or I'll take another, another lap around the block just so I can like end it, you know, at that perfect time, you know, okay, great. I can jump in and re-engage at the beginning of a scene or act, but you know, sometimes, sometimes you do just, you know, kind of leave off in the middle of it, and that's that's fine, too. It's whatever works for you, which is great. Sure. And, you know, one thing that was very um, comforting, I guess is the right word to me, when we were first doing this, because it really is new ground we're plowing here, is the reaction of people like you and uh, like Vilma Silva and like Terry McMahon and people who have been in the business for a while mm -hmm. who really got it right away. And 
Also, the playwrights, of course, uh, you know, that was the key thing. How would they feel about this? Um, they got it right away. And um, we've been so pleased with the overall package and the quality of what we've been able to produce. Uh, and, you know, I, I just hope people find the same satisfaction we do in, in hearing these works presented by incredible actors, uh, just incredibly talented people. Yeah, you know, it's really interesting when you, you know, have an idea. I remember us first talking about this idea and me thinking that it sounded really good. It sounded like something we could do. There's something really gratifying about having other people recognize that or say, oh, hey, that's great. Oh, I haven't thought of that. Oh, that's really interesting. You know, it feels like the feedback that we've gotten from our, our professional colleagues has been nothing but positive. So, Oh, ab absolutely. In fact, they are the ones who have said to me, this is a new way to present theater. That, you know, uh, I, you know we were all just bumbling along doing the best we could. But uh, <laughs> Vilma Silva, who performed one of the first uh, uh, plays that we did, a, a play by Oded Gross called uh, Butterflies and Margarine, Vilma took me aside and said, this is really important. This is really important what you're doing here. And, you know, she's, Vilma's seen a lot in her time. And, you know, that was just a, such a strong statement, such a comforting statement to have from someone of her stature. So. Yeah, it's great. You know, I think we, we definitely need to give a shout out to the Oregon Shakespeare Festival um, and the, uh, the support of the acting company that the upper echelons of management have given us. You know, they've been really great at kind of helping their, their, their kid sibling uh, theater uh, really help us um, get some people uh, being invested in, in what we're doing. So they've, everyone over there has been a really great help in kind of supporting us as we've get, gotten this off the ground. Well, and I don't know if we've made clear, but that Play for Keeps is a, an initiative of Ashland New Plays Festival. And I wanted to ask you as artistic director, do you foresee a time, as you know, there are some limits in what we can do. You know, the size of the recording studio, the, just uh, some limits. Some plays do not translate very well as audio recordings, sure. but most of them do, I think. And I wanted to ask you, do you see a time when we might start recording the winning plays and some of the other finalists as well uh, on a regular basis as part of what we offer the playwrights when they win at ANPF? Yeah, I think that'd be fantastic. I mean, to me, you know, we we can't ever recognize the playwrights enough. You know, we, we give them financial compensation. We bring them out for a week. We give them a, a high-quality workshop with talented actors and intelligent directors. We have our audiences who are so insightful, so passionate. You know, I, I, I liken the audiences in Ashland I say people in Ashland treat college, college treat theater like people in the South treat college football. You know that kind of avid, <laughs> avid following yeah. that exists. Um, so I, I think that that would be you know another great reward for for the winners to to have their plays um, captured and you know then being able to send it out and have you know whether it's other patrons, whether it's literary managers, artistic directors, you know producers or, or artists who want it are interested in producing, um, schools, you know, what, whoever it is, I, I, to me, I, I feel like that would be a really great, um, great reward or prize to, to include well, along with the other things that we're doing for them. So, you know, it's just a matter of getting it done. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's just a lot of work, but you know, I, I think going back to our earliest conversations, one thing we were both aware of is the, uh, wonderful things that ANPF was able to do for playwrights in terms of getting their work, uh, you know, noticed, uh, paid attention to, recognized, appreciated, but also some of the limits, the, you know, the festival, back when we were doing primarily the festival, the doors would close Sunday night and we'd say, what now? What can we do for them now? And you've certainly picked up on that both by uh, creating these workshop opportunities in the uh, other parts of the year working with playwrights, but also with all the direct outreach you've done on behalf of those playwrights to, uh, you know, to your connections in the theater world. And I hope with Play for Keeps we can continue to uh, expand that uh, uh, awareness that we're able to provide of the playwrights' work to the professional theater community as well as to the audiences. Yeah, you know, one of the things that we kind of say around the table, I don't know if we officially say this, maybe we should, but we, you know, refer to AMPF as being an oasis for playwrights. You know, we want to be able to kind of sustain them and nourish them um, and support them, help them along as they travel through the desert of, of theater. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. But, uh, yeah. you know, I, I think that, you know, whatever we can do to, to celebrate them, to help lift their work up, 
to get into the hands of other people that to me that's the primary motivation for what we do i think anybody who's a winner that that kind of comes through our doors and is part of the festival is part of the family forever you know and so for me a lot of the work that in addition to producing the other pieces that we do during the year in addition to working with other theaters to put on workshops like we did uh in january with curious theater in denver um you know i'm i'm constantly engaging literary managers, artistic directors, um, just putting putting our plays in the hands of anybody who uh, might be able to help out playwrights. And that's not just the winning plays, but, you know, a playwright who comes through our doors, you know, I'm, I'm here to help their career. I think they think they have the power of, of the community of Ashland behind them. So, you know, it's really about helping them take the next step. So for me, I think Play for Keeps fits hand in hand with that mission as far as promoting them and getting their work out there so people can hear it. Yeah, and especially our ability, uh, because at the uh, festival itself, we're limited, I guess you could say, to uh, picking four winners. And you've said yourself that it's getting more and more challenging to determine which are the four that you want to put on because we're receiving more and more good plays. Absolutely. Which is a result of a lot of effort by a lot of people, but particularly you and Jackie Apodaca and others who have really set a standard, I think, that appeals to playwrights. So, you know, now that we're receiving all this good work, um, what we've done with Play for Keep so far, in addition to producing the winning plays from uh, recent uh, uh, festivals, is to look at producing some of the plays that were finalists but were not chosen to be produced. And that's been very satisfying, I think, to those people who came so close. Now they have uh, you know, that to add to their resume, that they're um, uh, produced at Play for Keeps, uh, a part of Ashland Place Festival. And you know, so. we, pick, we pick four winners every year out of the pool of finalists, but every year we have more than four plays that could conceivably win that, you know, could go on to have life. And I, I, you know, I'm, I'm sure that there are plays in those batches that were finalists that have gone on to have lives, you know, outside of it, you know? So I think, you know, anything we can do to help those people along, I think totally makes sense. Again, you know, we're here to aid playwrights. The, you know, if you've ever tried to write a play and I have, it's really hard, <laughs> you know, because it's it's not you know it's not like a book where you can and writing books is, I'm sure is difficult too, but it's not like a book where you can you know wax poetically about the landscape and the exposition and in in plays you're literally putting words into the mouths of people and you need to make them sound like people and you need to make them sound like different people and. How can they talk about things without sounding like they're telling you everything that you need to know? It's really difficult. And so, you know, uh, I have so much respect for the work they do, um, the stories they're able to tell. And there are so many great, great folks out there who just, you know, just need a shot, just need to get their stories in the hands of the right person. So, you know, that's what we're trying to do. Well, I'm glad to hear you say that, too, because I think everything that all of us at Ashland New Plays Fest will do starts with respect for the the effort that these playwrights make, the work that they do, the courage that they show in putting their work out there. And, you know, uh, like any organization, we receive some plays that aren't so good, some plays that show promise, and some plays that are pretty damn good right now and just need a little polishing to be ready for the big time. Um, I, I think everything we do is intended to show respect for that process, that creative process that these people bring to the table and the courage that they display in doing it. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely. So. Hats off to you, playwrights. Hey, you haven't sent us your play yet, Kyle. What? <laughs> <laughs> come, it's not finished. Come. When it gets finished, you can have it. <laughs> uh, you, you know, uh, one thing I wanted to, to um, bring up with you is the awareness in the theater world and elsewhere of the need to really do some outreach to communities that aren't traditionally represented in the process. And, you know, this is uh, something that's been going on, obviously, for a long time. But you mentioned earlier the Women's Invitational, which we did the first year that you were artistic director. Um, It increased the number of plays we received by women, written by women, to uh, half or more of the plays we received total. And that was a tremendous result that came about simply from making a little effort to reach out to people and to show that we care and that we will listen and we want their work. And I know it's a challenge to find uh, inroads into communities that aren't traditionally represented, but uh, I just wanted your thoughts about, is that something we can continue to pursue? And do you have ideas about how to pursue that and, and so on? Yeah, you know, diversity and inclusion is is a 
bedrock principle of my life, you know, not just as an artist, but as a person. So I, I think absolutely we're going to continue to make those efforts. You know, for me, the, I, I, I look at some of the gender disparity and it just feels so stupid to me. You know, women are over half of the population in the world. What, you know, why can't, why can't we get to that number? You know, why, why we should have 50%, you know, our, our submission should be at least 50% of, of women. So, um, it's really easy to say that you value that work. It's really easy to say that you want that, but I think the, you know, the proof is in the doing. And so it's really about going out uh, and, and soliciting, like meeting people, um, encouraging them to submit. Um, and you know, I think there really has to be an interest from people in, in hearing, hearing other people's stories and looking for yourself in those stories, you know, as a, young African-American kid growing up just outside of Pittsburgh, you know, there weren't a lot of stories that really were about me, you know, that were about me and my situation, people that looked like me, people that sounded like me or had family like me or ate the foods that we ate. So I was forced to engage in a different way with materials. I was forced to try to find myself in other materials, things I could identify with. So even if, even if the lead character, you know, is a, a uh, woman of color, right? How can I connect with her? You know, if if she's um, South Asian or Korean, how you know? What are the things that I can do to identify with her? And for me, it's extremely gratifying. You know, I think that's what makes the world smaller. I think that those are the connections that we want to make to bring the world together. How do we see ourselves in these other stories? So for me, I'm really fascinated by telling as many different stories as we can from as many different viewpoints as we can because. We are human beings, and we can see humanity inside of those things. You know, sure. My sure. My, my wife's a, is uh, um, her family um, comes from Mexico. You know, when we always talk about, you know, when we're with our parents, grandparents, cousins, you know, uh, the rituals that our families have are different, and yet they are exactly the same. You know, sure. So <laughs> it's yeah. So like we can celebrate those differences and look look for those commonalities. And so for me, that's so much about. That's so much why I want to tell different types of stories. It's, it's why I think I'm, we're really invested in finding them. It's tough with the fall festival because it's a blind festival, you know, so we don't know the identities of the playwrights. And so really, it's, then it's about I have to look at the stories and try to find the stories that resonate to the most people. But certainly in the other outreach work that we're doing, um, we're trying to celebrate and lift up uh, women playwrights and playwrights of color to make sure that, that their stories are, are going to be heard. Oh, yeah. And, you know, I'm, I'm convinced that the work we did in trying to address the gender equity issue uh, through the Women's Invitational and, and other things that we did is one direct reason, uh, one direct cause of the, uh, the fact that we're getting more and more better plays now. We're just hearing from more people. We're uh, uh, getting the kind of work that we, uh, I guess, deserve to get because we've made the effort to go out and, and find these folks. And, you know, yes. we just have to continue to make that, that effort until we hear from the broadest representation of the, as you say, the human conversation out there that's exactly. taking place. Exactly. So, you know, it just calls on people to be interested in that, I think. So just stepping outside of your bubble um, and being curious about the world, being curious about others, you know. So there is a special excitement to see yourself reflected on stage. You know, I think it's, you know, I remember seeing the first Broadway show that I saw with a, a black kid in it. But, I, you know, I was like, oh, my gosh. Huh, he looks like me. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think it's a tremendously powerful moment. You know? Yeah. So we, yeah. we certainly want to make sure that everybody has that experience. So we'll continue well, you know, we'll continue to do that. We'll continue to, you know, bring actors in to make sure that these stories can be told. You know, we, if we have to go across the country to find an actor to fit the vision of a playwright, we'll do that. You know, but we just have to we, we're committed to it. And, um, you know, you just have to do put in the work in order to be committed, not just say you're committed. Sure. And, you know, to to further extrapolate here, uh, you know, the nature of what we're trying to do, I think, in, in reaching the widest number of playwrights and representing their work is to extend that that conversation from them through us to theaters throughout the country. I've always been stunned. I think all of us who go to theater, you know, theater is a wonderful thing, and you can go see Annie Get Your Gun 15 times, and it's always fun. Mm -hmm. But after a while, you start to realize that so many theaters in this country continue to do the same basic theatrical canon over and over again. 
Mm-hmm. And one thing that you helped me realize and that this experience with a, uh, ANPF has helped me realize is that one of the reasons they do it is they do not have that curatorial process that we have at ANPF and that some other organizations have where they're able to sort through new work and find the good stuff. So instead of that, they go for the, you know, the Annie Get Your Gun because they know there's an audience for it. If we can use Play for Keeps to reach those small theaters and turn them on to all this great work that we're seeing, I, I you know, I'd be tremendously satisfied. I just think we would have succeeded in, uh, in in the greatest way possible if we could get the work of cutting-edge playwrights into small theaters throughout the country. Yeah, awesome. you know, I think of it as, um, you know, comfort food is delicious, and some comfort food is really good for you, you know, but something really thrilling about going to a, a restaurant or you know, a place you haven't been and trying something new, you know, it might be terrible, it might be the best thing you've ever eaten in your life, you know? So I, I think it's great that we have community theaters, that we have regional theaters, you know? I just think it's great that we are recycling old plays, you know? We certainly need to remember where we come from. We certainly need to remember classic productions. And, and I think part of the fun is seeing, you know, how will, how will this person, what will their Hamlet be like? What will their Macbeth be like? What will their Walter Lee Younger look like, you know? I think there's, I think that's absolutely exciting, but I, you know, what are, when we look back at a society at the early 21st century, you know, the plays that are written are going to really speak to the experience of what's going on with people then. So, you know, we can't just be satisfied with those old stories. We need to create stories for our time. There's plenty of things going on in the world at this point right now that I'm sure people have thoughts and opinions about. So, um, you know, these these plays are are a living record of that, like rings on a tree, you know. So I, I think it's tremendously important for us to see that. And and you know, for me, nothing would make me happier than to have you know little new theater, little 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 new theaters pop up all over the place, right? Theaters that are committed to doing new work or who are committed to mixing in new work um, and or in in diversifying their offerings to include new things right that work has to be supported of course the theater model in the united states is is a tough one you know but um that would that would be my my dream that we could you know get get these plays going to every corner of the country um to to be seen by full production seen by audiences well, you've just spoken very eloquently about why new plays, which people often say to me, why new plays, why do we care? <laughs> There's another thing that I learned in this process that kind of stunned me, but it's pretty logical when you think about it, and that is theater is also interested in new plays, new works for very practical reasons, and that is that there is evidence that new work commands a longer run and a higher price tag than the traditional canon. And if you think of Hamilton, you can see what that's about. You know, when something like that comes along, it just explodes. Absolutely. So, uh, you know, I continue to hear, and you might wonder why, but I continue to hear that theater really is interested in new works. And I just continue to think that our job is to get this work from these playwrights to those people. Yeah, and I'm continually impressed by audiences' appetites for new work, you know, which makes yeah. sense when you think about it. You're always watching new TV shows, you're always going to new movies. People are interested in things that they haven't heard before or seen before. They want a different experience. So it totally yeah. makes it, when you logically think about it, it totally makes sense. It's much easier to go to the thing you're comfortable with, you know? Sure, it's easier sure. to lean back on, well, we have all these golden age musicals and that's what we really love, so we're gonna do that again. Well, Arthur Miller, but, he plays well every year, let's just do that again. You know, but yeah, let's go to McDonald's. Let's go to McDonald's. Yeah, Yeah, look, McDonald's is great. I love McDonald's, but you know, (laughs) sometimes you got to try something else. And you know, at one point in time, I think about I read Tennessee Williams' autobiography when I was in grad school, um, and it 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 really it ran the gamut from beginning of his life right up until the opening of Glass Menagerie, which was his first big play. And you know, for me, when I was reading that, I was thinking, wow, there was a point in time where Glass Menagerie was a new play. You know, that affected people that was different, you know, that the memory play that I, the ideas populated in that his his lyricism and his work, that was the new hotness. That's what was, you know, blowing people's minds. So, you know, things aren't just born canon, you know, they're developed, they're worked, they get to that point. So, you know, I don't know if we're going to find the next Hamilton. That seems 
like a really lofty goal. But you know, hey, why not? We'll we'll see what happens. We, but we will we will continue to to unearth and find and look for the next stories that people are people are going to be interested in. Well, you know, as you point out, Thucydides was a new play once upon a time, and Shakespeare was a new play, and Tennessee yep. Williams was a new play. And there are people out there now that are creating those gems, too. So, you know, I just think that there is a market for good stories, and theater produces a lot of good stories. And it's just really an honor to get to be involved with you and all the other folks at Ashland New Plays Festival and trying to get this out there to the public. So. Yeah, I, I'm very grateful that, that AMPF took a shot on on a kid that was, you know, at the time splitting his time between Chicago and Ashland. Um, you know, I came in with some big ideas and, you know, to the credit of everybody involved, you know, y'all just rolled with it. Um, Went for so, it. Yep. So, yeah, I've, I've been really grateful. You know, it's, you know, the answer is usually yes. So, <laughs> uh, but I think we've come a really, I think we've come a long way in the last four years and I'm excited to see what the future holds for us, where we go next. You know, if, if I could, there's another question I'd like to ask you, uh, just in your capacity as the artistic director. Sure. We talk about underrepresented communities, but there's also underserved communities. And, you know, one thing that has occurred to me about Play for Keeps is that it uh, is a new way of presenting theater in the sense that it's accessible almost anywhere. You don't have to live in a city to mm -hmm. go see this play. You don't have to. And some of the other things that have occurred to me is you don't have to be, you don't have to hear well because you can, in this format, you know, if you see uh, Othello and you can't hear what's being said, you still know the story. But if you go see a new play and you can't hear what's being said, you don't have a clue what's going on. Yeah. And um, some of us who have reached an age where hearing is an issue can really benefit from this form of theater. Uh, not only is it accessible on demand, but it speaks to us in a way that we can hear. And I think that's important. And also, if you live in rural parts of this country, I think it's wonderful to have access to what is cutting edge out there rather than have to go to Portland or the Bay Area or L.A. or Chicago, New York, whatever, to see cutting edge theater. So. Absolutely, it's a democratization in some ways of it. It's, you know, you're not you're not limited, um, in maybe some of the traditional ways that you have been before. So, yeah. but yeah, you know, I think it's also really great if it's a material that maybe is a little bit more challenging, um, or you want to test out to see, hey, am I going to be interested in this? You know, you can you can take a little bit of the temperature of the water and say, hey, oh, this is actually something that's really compelling. I'd like to to learn more about this. You know, I yeah, think exactly. that's pretty cool. Well, you know, uh, I was asked some questions before we did this podcast, and one of them was the strengths of Play for Keeps, and I think we've discussed those. What do you see as the weaknesses of Play for Keeps? Have you given that any thought? Because I, I give it thought virtually every day. Yeah. <laughs> and about three in the morning especially. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I think the biggest weakness is something that I think about a lot, which is, you know, is, is that it's not live. You know, I, I think that one of the the magical things about theater is that, you know, you're in the room with the artist um, and that there is um, a kind of communication that happens between the actors and audience um, where the actors are, of course, saying the lines they've rehearsed and doing the blocking that they've rehearsed, but their performance very subtly, but, but it is definitely affected by the audience that night. You know, if the audience is, you know, uh, laughing and really enjoying themselves. Maybe it changes how you play a beat. You take a little bit longer of a pause or you, you know, give a couple more turns in the dance or something, you know, but there, there's a real give and take that happens between actor and audience um, that really makes theater unique, right? Every, every performance is its own own piece of art that can't ever be recreated you'll do it again but there'll be different people in the audience it'll be a different night you'll you know be in a different mood it's never the same twice so i think that you know you do lose that um by doing it in this way but i think you know the gains in that are tremendous and kind of figuring out what it is you know listening to it having this here as a kind of baseline you can then jump off and then create that live experience but i you know i'm of the opinion right now that as digital as our life has become, which is great, right? And even the connectivity that we can have, you and I are across the country from each other right now. Um, I, I, I really feel like theater is going to be crucial to the 21st century because it is people in the same room 
doing things together. Even if there's media involved in the performance, um, having that live experience with somebody is standing across from you and is actually there and is actually saying things that you're listening to and receiving and reacting to in real time, I feel like that, that there's going to be a premium on that experience. You know, and that not that necessarily not that necessarily it will become more expensive. I hope it doesn't become more expensive, but I think it will become more valuable that actual time. You know, I love Skyping with my friends across the country, but there's nothing like sitting down with someone and, you know, looking their eyes and, you know, having a cup of coffee and splitting a piece of pie, you know, being, being in that place with them. So for me, like, that's the big thing that theater does that nothing else can do. Film can't do that. Television can't do that. Um, even if you're live tweeting something, you know, or interacting with polls, it doesn't work in the same way as, as theater does. And I think Play for Keeps is hopefully a bridge to get people more involved in that live interaction. Uh, precisely. And, you know, ironically, some of the weaknesses that I have noted about what we're doing are technological challenges. Uh, first of all, the audience for theater, as well know, tends to be uh, older. And when you say podcast, people glaze over. They don't know what that means. Somebody said to me recently, we're so excited about what you're doing. We're just so behind it, but we don't know how to do it, you know. <laughs> and um, <laughs> in spite of our efforts to communicate how that gets done, we have to continue to address that problem. Uh, I think the other is, is exactly what you're talking about, that people tend to think that uh, you know, theater is an experience you have in person, and if you're going to have it at home, the benefits of that on-demand uh, access is uh, not understood clearly. People still think you have to carve out an hour and a half or two hours, as I said earlier, to sit down in front of a computer and listen to a play, and that's really not what it's about. So, you know, there's some, some technological issues that we have to address and figure out how to uh, help people overcome. But, uh, yeah, it's, it's new ground we're plowing. Yeah, you know, I think podcasts are becoming, uh, are trickling up age-wise. You know, I think certainly a lot of people in my generation listen to pod. I listen to podcasts all the time. Uh, I tend to listen. To, I tend to listen to mostly sports and pop culture podcasts to try to stay out of my work life. Um, but um, uh, I, I think it's something that people are getting more and more familiar with. So I think certainly, like as we look at the future, the next twenty years of theater, if the trends continue in the same direction and people who are older with more disposable income are still inclined to theater, they're going to have more of that facility with podcasts. And so maybe that will change. The Dimbleus demographics will change. Um, maybe there will be a trickle down, you know, and, and maybe at, because young, young people do listen to podcasts, maybe this is another way to get more young people involved um, in oh, theater and in, in seeing theater. Um, Agreed. Yeah. They're going to lead the way. And this in this market that we're exploring, they will lead the way, I believe. And, you know, I, I would say as something that was a very satisfying thing to hear, Spotify, the, the music streaming uh, company, it's been mm -hmm. around for quite a while, and everybody knows Spotify, recently purchased uh, a couple of podcasting uh, companies. And in doing so, they said... We are just at the dawn of the second golden age of audio. And mm -hmm. I just thought, wow. And, you know, the evidence is, is tremendous. I mean, the market for podcasting is growing exponentially and uh, appears to just continue to go in that direction, much like, you know, television, cable television, all these things that came along once upon a time uh, spread through the um, um, society just uh, almost overnight, and podcasting is doing the same thing. It's just become a whole new way to receive entertainment, education, and uh, conversation, I guess. I mean, it's really going back to the future if you think about it. I always think about as a kid seeing pictures of people in the 20s and 30s gathered around the radio, you know, listening, getting getting news in real time. And, you know, in, in some ways it really harkens back to that. I think it's something that is... Um, in our DNA as people. So, you know, hopefully it will, uh, uh, I, I'm very optimistic. I, I, I think that it is um, going to become a foundational piece of entertainment for us. Um, yeah. Yeah, me too. I, like I said, my phone is filled with them. I have hundreds of podcasts on my phone. <laughs> so, you know, for whatever my mood is, you know, I can kind of flip through and look at stuff. I just, you know, the, the latest play for keeps play just popped up a couple of days ago and I've been inundated in work the last few days, but I'm like, oh, you know, I, I think it's one that uh, was one of the winners, I believe. Um, so I was like, oh, I'm listening to that, you know, when I get time. So maybe driving to work tomorrow, I, I can start it. Um, 
But, you know, it's about, you know, what am I mood for? What do I want to listen to? So sometimes I want to hear analysis about the NFL draft. And, you know, sometimes I want to hear people talk intelligently about politics. And sometimes I just want I want it to be told a really good story with some some high quality actors. <laughs> That's what Play for Keeps is for. <laughs> Great stuff. Hey, Kyle, uh, for those who don't know, uh, we should mention you're in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, where you teach theater at Carnegie Mellon University. And I know a lot of our fans would like to know, what are you up to these days? <laughs> not sleeping that i know is, i know you don't i know you don't sleep so what do you do in all that time you don't sleep so. yeah well i you know I, I i teach a couple of classes at carnegie mellon um we're really fortunate now we have some fantastically talented young uh actors um the uh senior class just did their showcase in new york city this past week so really excited about them getting out there and starting to make their way into their careers um for me i have a few projects coming up um, I am going to be acting in a play at City Theater in Pittsburgh uh, called We Are Among Us. It's a new play by Stephen Belber, which I'm really excited about. Um, I think it's is, is going to be a fantastic, fantastic new play. Um, and then I'm going to be directing this summer. I'm, I'm directing um, a production of The Winner's Tale uh, up in Washington at Island Shakespeare Festival. So we've started design meetings for that. I've been talking to my designers about what the world's going to look like, what the set's going to look like. Um, and then I'm, I'm really excited to be working on a play that's come through um, ANPF that was a winner at the at the Fall Festival and that I've been with through development. But it's uh, Beth Kander, who's our host playwright, has written a play called Hazardous Materials that we'll be doing at Creed Repertory Theater in southwest Colorado. We'll be doing that at the end of the summer. So we're uh, that play is later, but we're farther along in the design process. So we've already got our initial uh, set and costume and lights and sound. And so we're finishing up casting there and trying to get all of those pieces together. So, you know, I have these three big projects in addition to school that I'm working on. And then that's not even including then, you know, what we're working on at AMPF. We're, you know, in the process of putting together our summer production. And then uh, shortly I'll be getting those plays to look at for the fall. So, and thinking about 2020 and beyond, I'm already trying to put those pieces together. So, you know, I don't sleep a lot. <laughs> We know that. We I, know that. I have a two-year-old as well, or almost a two-year-old, so um, there's not a lot of sleep that happens here. But I'm really fortunate in that um, all of my jobs don't really feel like work, and in a lot of ways, it feels very similar to anytime I'm doing a play. It feels very similar to being in high school and you know doing the school musical. You know, the 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 bones are the same. The hours might change. The pay is definitely better, but um, it's the same thing. So I'm very lucky in that it doesn't really feel like work it just feels like i get to work on a bunch of really cool projects all of the time and, well and you're really good at it so you know obviously I, you're one of those people who would probably do it for free but we won't ask you to nearly free Thanks. in this case but. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, uh, kyle also could i ask uh, just quickly uh, as you know we've had a long time relationship with uh, em lewis ellen lewis the playwright who was our host playwright for a number of years was a winner here gosh in 2000 eight, I think, a long time ago. But in any case, Ellen's career is skyrocketing right now, and we just love to see that happen. And one of the uh, plays she has um, produced is The Gun Show, which I know uh, that ANPF is going to be putting on this this uh, June, I believe it is. That's and I just wondered if you could talk about that for a little bit. Yeah, um, I think Ellen, uh, E.M. Lewis is, is one of the most exciting playwrights that's working today, her Maginalica. At, that was at uh, uh, Artist Rep up in Portland. The five-hour opus was incredible. Um, she just has such an interesting way of telling stories. Her perspective is so keen. Um, and uh, we um, we decided a long time ago that we needed to do the gun show. It's a real it's a real conversation about guns and and their role in our lives and culture. And it's a really it's a really thorough examination that doesn't. Um, that manages to kind of thread the needle and go right down the middle um, and ask some really, I think, intelligent questions of, of audiences. So um, Quantum Theater just did it here in Pittsburgh and we had, uh, uh, she was here with us for about a month and um, I had a chance to see that production, which was really powerful. And, you know, we, we've been talking about, I think since I've, since I've arrived at AMPF, we've been talking about doing some of her work and, so we decided that this was the piece that we wanted to bring. So we're really excited to be bringing it to the Rogue Valley. 
Um, it'll be in mid-June, a couple of performances, um, bringing out a wonderfully talented actor from Pittsburgh, Andrew William Smith, to do it. Um, and I, I, I'm just so excited for our audiences to, to get to experience her work and, 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 you know, see it firsthand. She's such a lovely human being and I'm so happy for all the success she's having. She, her play, uh, Apple season was just in New Jersey. A good friend of mine, Christy Bryan was, was in that. Um, she's really, she's really taken off and I, I couldn't be happier for her. Couldn't happen to a better oh. person. So. We we wholeheartedly agree, and I, I have to add that uh, she sent me the script of the gun show several years ago, and I was just stunned after I read it. I, I was literally stunned. So yeah, I, I don't want to give it away. I, you know, I I, I I hope that if you uh, I hope if, if you see it, you and I can talk about it offline at some point, Jim. But I hope if you're out there and you see it that we can talk about it face to face because there's just some things in it that are so surprising and so effective and I, I just don't want to ruin it for anybody who hasn't hasn't yet experienced it but I, I I'm really looking forward to bringing it to the to Oregon to the Rogue Valley I think it's going to be uh, I think it's going to be fantastic and uh, I, I know I, I over the past four years I would say two or three times a year I would get an email uh, from usually a reader or someone's a volunteer um, either asking like for this specific play or asking for us to bring her back to do something to do some of our work. So it seems like people are, are, are going to be excited about it. And so I think this is the first announcement we've made about it. So we've, we've broken a little news here on the podcast, uh, which is exciting. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, I am very appreciative of you taking the time to talk to us, Kyle. I always enjoy it personally, but I'm, I know that our audience is going to enjoy hearing from you as well. And I appreciate all your thoughts about Play for Keeps as well. You know, Ashland New Place Festival is something that's dear to both of us, obviously. And this is a big step that we've taken with Play for Keeps. It, it is new theater. It's a new way to present theater. But, uh, you know, I feel very optimistic that we're going to get it done. And I think our heart's in the right place. You know, it's about playwrights. It's about, uh, as you said, this human conversation. And uh, we want to extend it as far as we can. Absolutely. You know, it's, I'm, I'm just so pleased and excited that we're the ones who have taken this first step um, to to bring these stories to more people. So I, I, I can't wait to see what goes and what happens with it i'm glad you're at the helm of it and um you know we'll we'll see where it goes but i'm i'm in a hundred percent to to support the next steps thanks for listening tune in next time for conversation between two of my favorite playwrights beth gander and ian august please check out our latest pod play the exceptionals by bob Kleiman a New Jersey playwright and two-time winner of the Ashland New Plays Festival. The cast of The Exceptionals is Rachel Crowell, Tamara Mathias, Erica Sullivan, Roman Zaragoza, and Grant Lukey. Play for Keeps podcast is produced by Ashland New Plays Festival and Play for Keeps. This podcast was produced by Andy Herndon, art direction by Cara Quinn Lewis, Play for Keeps is directed by Jim Pagliasotti. Written content is edited by Carol Florian. Special thanks to Kyle Hayden, Jackie Apodaca, and Beth Kander. This is your host, Mary-Claire Erdenast. Please visit us at playforkeeps.org. We're also on Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, and Twitter. Please help us spread the word. Follow, like, share, and retweet. See you next time at Play for Keeps podcast. Books are meant to be read. Plays are meant to be said. <laughs>